MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. Today, Meadows' lawyer throws a Hail Mary letter to the 1-6 committee as they prepare to refer the former chief of staff to the Justice Department for criminal contempt of Congress. Former Trump advisor Pete Navarro defies a congressional subpoena over the pandemic response. A federal judge upholds the use of felony obstruction charges in January 6th cases. Georgia Republicans are purging black Democrats from county election boards and a discussion about the Department of Justice with former acting FBI director Andy McCabe. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hello. I'm okay. Hanging in there. I, I, you know, I get so, I try not to have a visceral response to the introductions. Like when I hear you say that Georgia Republicans are purging black Democrats from county election boards. And then I do. And I'm like, all right, this was, we just started and I'm already fucking mad. Mm. Yeah, that's sometimes how it goes. <laughs> and when when we get to the story, you're going to be even Oh, great. Madder. Okay, good. I'm going to just I'm gonna take a breath. <laughs> a late coffee's kicking in. Everything's going to be just fine. Yay. And this is sort of breaking news. A few minutes ago, Jamie Gangel, who is reporting on the 1-6 committee for CNN, told... I think it was Jake Tapper live on the air that she has information from a source on the committee that the hearing, which is going to start in about 45 minutes, I'm going to be live tweeting it. So we aren't going to be able to get the contents of the hearing in this show today, but we will be covering it tomorrow and we will be covering it in depth with Andrew Torres on tomorrow's cleanup on our 45 pod. But this isn't just a vote. There's going to be a bunch of new information put out, Mm -hmm. including what Meadows was doing, who he was talking to, some of the text messages. Apparently, there's a text message from a Trump family member to him. I think it might be Ivanka. But we're going to learn a lot more about this than we thought. It's definitely going to be on C-SPAN. And I imagine that by the time folks are listening to this show, we will have heard a lot about the content of that hearing, especially on my Twitter feed. So you can check that right now for last night's live Twitter feed if you want to see that. And uh, of course, listen to the Cleanup on L45 podcast tomorrow. Later in the show today, I'll be talking with Andy McCabe because something came up in a podcast called The Daily where Michael Schmidt, I believe, who's a reporter for The New York Times, was saying that the Steele dossier was what the FISA warrant was based on for Carter Page. And that's just, hmm, that's, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I immediately called up Andrew and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to clear that up along with this recent judge who said that Trump, there's, there is factual predication that Trump incited the riot. And that's interesting because in his book, The Threat, he, he talks extensively about sufficient factual predication when referencing the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, the Trump-Russia investigation, the FISA warrant, etc. So that that to me is a shot across the bow to the Department of Justice. Like, hope you're fucking investigating this, bro. This is <laughs> this is your shit, bro. We're, we're going to serve it up to you. So if you're paying attention. Tonight is your night, bro. <laughs> Tonight is your night, bro. It's going to be a good night, bro. <laughs> My mattress is lumpy. OK, enough from the movie <laughs> Twins starring Danny DeVito. 
and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And on to the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, a lawyer for Mark Meadows has sent a letter. This is Terwilliger the third, by the way. Terwilla third. Uh, he has sent a letter to the House committee this morning investigating the January 6th attacks, arguing that the former White House chief of staff should not be subject to criminal contempt of Congress charges again. The committee is set to vote tonight. The, the vote is happening after we record this show to recommend charges against Meadows, who said last week that he would no longer cooperate with the investigation after he did and then he didn't and then he did and then he didn't. Lawyer George Terwilliger said that a contempt referral would be contrary to law, quote, because a good faith invocation of executive privilege and testimonial immunity by a former senior executive official is not a violation of the statute, especially when that person is relying on the advice of counsel. <laughs> That's you, dumbass. <laughs> Jack Waddle. <laughs> Did you say Jack Waddle? I don't know what it means, but it just came out. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic. You're fucking Jack Wobble. Uh, and we we have the episode title. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good faith invocation of executive privilege means you show up and you invoke executive privilege to each thing. There is no blanket executive privilege. Although Chief of Staff Meadows does have more of a claim to executive privilege than Bannon does, but he still doesn't because he's talked about it on Fox News and in his book and every, everywhere. And he handed over 6,000 documents to the committee, which waves that too. Terwilliger, who was Deputy Attorney General in the George H.W. Bush administration, argues in the letter that a criminal referral would violate the long-held and well-established separation of powers principles. Except Trump isn't the fucking president. Okay. Later, in the letter, he makes a series of arguments for why executive privilege should shield close advisors to the president from having to testify before Congress. But it doesn't tackle the question of why executive privilege should apply to a former official when the current president is not invoking it. A question that is central to the legal fight over former President Trump's records from National Archives. Oh, and, and by the way, Trump even didn't send a letter protecting Mark Meadows. The committee alleged Sunday in a report supporting the contempt referral that Meadows wrote an email the day before the riots saying the National Guard troops would keep Trump supporters safe on January 6th. The recipient of that email is not identified. Quote, Mr. Meadows sent an email to an individual about the events on January 6th and said the National Guard would be present to protect pro-Trump people and that many more would be available on standby. Meadows's lawyer did not address that alleged email in his letter and declined to comment. And, you know, even if, Dana, what they were hoping, I think, happened was that a bunch of Antifa BLM protesters would show up and there would be clashes and they could declare martial law or whatever. Even then, it's still fucked up to say we're only going to protect one side of this protest 100%. and not all Americans. Now, Meadows' attempt to push back against the criminal referral comes after federal appeals court had ruled on Thursday that Trump cannot prevent the January 6th committee from getting hundreds of documents that were created when he was in the White House. I believe... I believe, Dana, that he's run afoul of the Presidential Records Act Mark Meadows has. Note this excerpt from a new 51-page, this is the resolution to hold him in contempt, which, again, Andrew and I will cover more in depth on tomorrow's cleanup on All 45. This was drafted by the January 6th committee. It says, quote, it's also worth noting that your identification of executive privilege issues with documents that came from Mr. Meadows' personal email account and personal cell phone well, that raises the question of whether these materials have been transferred to the National Archives in compliance with the Presidential Records Act. Whoopsie. Allow me to read to you from 18 U.S. Code Section 2071. Whoever willfully and unlawfully conceals or destroys or poops on whatever 
any record in any public office shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than three years or both and be disqualified from holding any office under the United States. Well, that seems pretty clear. So we'll see what happens with Mark Meadows. I love that they keep literally tripping over their own dicks. Like it's it's not long enough anyway. We know that, but I don't know if there's any other saying. Uh, it's good it's too stuff. Too many dicks on the dance floor. Yeah, January. speaking of too many dicks, former Trump trade advisor, Peter Navarro. <laughs> That's segue. Thank you very much. Wrote to a House committee investigating the Trump administration's response to the fall 2020 COVID-19 surge that he will defy their subpoena for documents on a, quote, direct order from Donald Trump. So apparently Donald Trump told him to defy this subpoena. Mm-hmm. They're really good at this. The direct order cited by Navarro in his letter to Rep. James Clyburn, as we know, he's a Democrat from South Carolina. He's also the committee chair, is a public statement Trump issued last month urging, quote, Peter Navarro to protect executive privilege and not let these unhinged Democrats discredit or our great accomplishments. (laughs) I just... (laughs) Our great crimes. I mean accomplishments. I also feel like they've turned executive privilege into like Windex from my big fat Greek wedding. Like they just spray this shit all over the place thinking something's going to stick. It's a mosquito bite. Put Windex on it. That's my other twin. That's my twin. Okay. Um, Where the fuck was I? House Democrats released Navarro's response to the November subpoena on Sunday, along with Clyburn's reply, which included him scorning the ex-advisor. He said, your blanket refusal to comply with the subpoena in its entirety is improper. That's what he said. Clyburn wrote that. He went on to say, it is abundantly clear that you possess information responsive to the subpoena that is not covered by any colorable claims of executive privilege. Now, by saying colorable claims, that means as far as you could stretch the idea of executive privilege, nothing you're saying applies to it. I thought they were just going to, I thought the subpoena was a coloring book. It could be, you know, subpoenas for for dummies. Mm -hmm. Just find the page. Crime by numbers. (laughs) Navarro fought with government scientists over the federal response to the pandemic and was accused of prioritizing Trump's election fraud lies. Now, the former trade advisor risking being held in contempt of Congress follows former Trump strategist Steve Bannon being indicted on two counts of contempt of Congress for refusing to share information to a House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. So here's another one defying subpoenas and trying to say executive privilege when it could not be further from applicable. Yeah, I would love it if they actually uh, held him in criminal contempt. Oh, that would be lovely. And a federal judge this past Friday upheld the Justice Department's decision to use a felony obstruction law against U.S. Capitol rioters. That's a major victory for prosecutors who have used the statute to charge hundreds of Donald Trump supporters who were involved in the January 6th insurrection. Several other defendants have challenged this law, and many of those challenges are still pending. But Friday's ruling means the Justice Department's strategy for charging the Capitol rioters has survived a key test. Federal Judge Dabney Friedrich denied a request by two rioters to throw out the charge of obstruction of an official proceeding, which is often used for things like witness tampering, but has been used in January 6th cases because of the disruption of the Electoral College proceedings before Congress. Lawmakers' formal certification of President Joe Biden's victory was delayed for hours as rioters ransacked the building and fought with police officers. Friedrich, a Trump appointee, rejected the defendant's argument that the congressional certification of Electoral College results was not an official proceeding. It's a fucking official proceeding, my friends. (laughs) Quote, the joint session thus has the trappings of a formal hearing before an official body. That's Friedrich. There is a presiding officer, a process by which objections can be heard, debated and ruled upon, 
and a decision, the certification of the results, that must be reached before the session can be adjourned. Accordingly, the congressional certification at issue here is, quote, a proceeding before the Congress. She also rejects arguments that, oh, is Friedrich a lady judge? Did I get, did I, did I do that wrong? I don't remember what you said. Dabney Freedom. Okay, Friedrich. Okay, I got the pronouns wrong here. She also rejected the arguments that the law was unconstitutionally vague. And because they were like, oh, it's vague. Nope, it's not. She says that only, you know, they also argued it only pertains to judicial and not congressional proceedings. No, it's a congressional proceeding. That's the law. It says the word congressional right in it. Quote, because the government has alleged that the defendants acted corruptly or unlawfully and with an intent to obstruct, the defendants were on notice that their conduct violated the statute and, quote, no more is required at this stage of the prosecution. The ruling concerned only two specific defendants, and it doesn't prevent other district judges from ruling against the Justice Department in other cases. With several challenges pending, whether the law can be used against January 6th defendants may ultimately be resolved by a higher appeals court. Prosecutors have used the felony obstruction charge as the cornerstone of many of the more serious capital riot cases. Many of the few hundred defendants facing the charge were outspoken about their desire to stop the certification of the Electoral College results, a.k.a. obstructing a congressional proceeding. <laughs> or they even entered the Senate chamber. A ruling against the DOJ on this matter would have sent massive ripple effects throughout the January 6 cases and would have had dramatic effect on prosecutors' efforts to push for felony convictions and longer prison sentences. The charge carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, the same potential punishment as a sedition charge, which is more difficult to prove in court. All right, A.G., and I started with anger and now it's going to escalate to fury. I have a feeling protesters filled the meeting room of the Spalding County Board of Elections in October, upset that the board had disallowed early voting on Sundays for the November 2nd municipal election. A year later, Sunday voting has been instrumental in boosting turnout of black voters. But this was an entirely different five-member board than had overseen the last election. The Democratic majority of three Black women was gone. So was the Black election supervisor. Now, a faction of three white Republicans controlled the board, thanks to a bill passed by Republican-led Georgia legislature earlier this year. Down-ballot voting matters, people. The Spalding Board's new chairman has endorsed former President Donald Trump's false stolen election claims on social media. Now, the panel in Spalding, this is a rural patch of South Atlanta, is one of the six county boards that Republicans have quietly reorganized in recent months through similar county-specific state legislation. The changes expanded the party's power over choosing members of local election boards ahead of the crucial midterm congressional elections in November of 2022. Now, the unusual rash of restructurings, that follows the state's passage of Senate Bill 202, which restricted ballot access statewide and allowed the Republican-controlled state election board to assume control of county boards, county boards it deems underperforming. So they allowed them to take these over. The board immediately launched a performance review of which one the Democratic-leaning Fulton County Board, which oversees part of Atlanta. They went right for it. The Georgia restructurings are part of a national Republican effort to expand control over election administration in the wake of Trump's false voter fraud claims. Now, Republican-led states like Florida, Texas, Arizona, they've all enacted new curbs on voter access this year. Backers of the former guy's false stolen election claims, they are running campaigns for Secretary of State, which is, we know, is the top election official in all of the battleground states. That's what they're doing in the battleground states. And some Republicans in Wisconsin are seeking to eliminate the state's bipartisan election commission and threatening its members with prosecution. 
This is nuts. In five of Georgia's counties that restructured election boards, Troop, Morgan, Pickens, Stevens, and Lincoln, the legislature shifted the power to appoint some or all election board members to local county commissions, all of which are currently controlled by Republicans. Now, previously, the appointments had been split evenly between the local Democratic and Republican parties. Now, sometimes with other local entities controlling some appointments, the intent of the old system was basically this. It was to ensure a politically balanced or nonpartisan board. That was the intent. In the sixth county, Spalding, the party still choose two members each, but the fifth member is now chosen by local judges. It used to be decided by a coin flip, which I'm not sure which is more absurd. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Now, those judges tend to be politically conservative. They okay? used to play musical chairs. <laughs> they used to do rock, paper, scissors. Red Rover, and then... <laughs> Seems very legit. Hmm. Now, the judges tended to be politically conservative. They appointed a white Republican to replace a black Democrat on the election board. Now, what that did is it gave Republicans a 3-2 majority. So Reuters could not determine the exact split of Democrats and Republicans in the five counties that handed control to county commissions before and after their restructurings. That's because board members' party, that the board members' party's affiliation is not public information in Georgia. And the board representatives declined to identify their allegiances. Not a big fucking surprise there, because I can guarantee I know where they lie. Sneaky AF. Lay? Lay? Lie? I know where they lay? Someone's going to tell me. Lie. Chickens lay, my dad used to Oh, I got it right. Look at that. Yeah, I, I, that could be totally wrong. <laughs> I mean, chickens lay. You can also lay. I know that people, I think people lie. Uh, anyway, well, people do lie. The Republicans lie. <laughs> but you lie down. You don't lay down. Exactly. Unless you're laying something down. Anyway. All right. We'll very look confusing. it up. Send it in to corrections. Oh, someone's going to. At dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'm going to put money on Peter. <laughs> I feel like Peter's going to know this. He, he will. He totally will. Either that or uh, the the Aussie dad. I thought, isn't that Peter? Oh, Just, is it Peter? Am I getting him confused with someone? I'm pretty sure Cobalt's dad is Peter. If not, you know what? We'll get a correction on that too. Yeah. There you go, Cobalt's dad. You can correct us on multiple things. Perfect. All right. We'll be right back with former acting director of the FBI, Andy McCabe, to talk about the Department of Justice and sufficient factual predication. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans. Today's show is brought to you by Monk Pack. If you're looking for delicious, healthy snacks that are satisfying, I have a great recommendation for you. It's the Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars. They taste amazing. They have just one gram of sugar, only two to three net grams of carbs, and they're only 140 calories. And they're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, non-GMO. They have no soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, and no high-intensity sweeteners. And you don't have to be keto to love these. I'm paleo, but they're good for keto. But they're just healthy snacks. I've been trying to eat better, and Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped me so much. They're a great healthy snack that's filling and satisfying. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, and blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite right now is the coconut cocoa chip. It's so delicious. Try them for yourself, and you'll see. We have a special deal for you. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer, so there's no risk. To get started, go to monkpack.com, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com, select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. And today's show is also brought to you by Cometeer, the most delicious coffee brewed through science. Better, better through science. Cometeer is frozen pre-brewed coffee in pocket-sized recyclable capsules, and you melt 
to make them. No equipment needed. With Cometary, you can always get barista-quality coffee or lattes. Uh, I used to load my weak coffee up with cream and sugar because it was either acidic or weak. But Cometary is so smooth and balanced, I just drink it black now. It's simple to make. They've discovered a new way to make coffee. After the brewing process, it's flash frozen to lock out in all the goodness, all the goodies. And then you melt to make it. You just add the frozen coffee to a cup of hot water. And for iced coffee, just pour the melted coffee into water with ice. You get iced coffee in 10 seconds flat. And lattes are just as easy. Cometeer arrives each month to my home and features the best regional specialty roasters with enough capsules for 32 cups. It's the kind of delicious variety I've always wanted. We have a special offer for you. For a limited time, you can get 20 bucks off your first order. 10 free cups and shipping is always free, but only when you visit cometeer.com slash beans20. Cometeer is C-O-M-E-T-E-E-R dot com slash beans20. I was skeptical at first, but it's so delicious. It's brewed coffee you melt to make. It's one of the best, if not the best tasting, the, the best tasting cups of coffee I've ever had. So if you like coffee at all, the taste is, you have to taste it to believe it and you will. That's cometeer.com slash beans20 to save $20 off your first order. A new day has arrived on Earth for coffee. Cometeer.com slash beans20. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Happy today to be joined by former director of the FBI, acting director of the FBI, and good friend of mine, Andy McCabe. Andy, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I am also doing great. You won your case, and I'll just announce right now, everybody, I, I won my severance from the Department of Veterans Affairs. So, Woo! Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> Way to go. Congrats. We're going to need to have a couple of pints the next time I'm out in your neck of the woods. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> cheers surviving our careers, the Trump administration. So apparently Michael Schmidt, who's had his ups and downs in reporting Trump Russia mm-hmm. of the New York Times, appeared in a podcast, The Daily, and talked about the outsized life and quiet death of the Steele dossier. And in it, he alludes to the fact that somehow the Steele dossier was responsible for the, I guess, awarding of the FISA warrant against Carter Page. And I took umbrage with that because I feel like there's sort of a, a disinfo op attached to this Denchenko Durham indictment. Durham appointed by Barr to look into the oranges of the investigation, as we know, and spinning this tale for like one count of lying or two counts of lie, five counts, but two lies that are just as muddy and ambiguous as the supposed lies that Sussman told the FBI and CIA, Jim Baker at the FBI. And they now have some incredible evidence that blows the indictment, holes in the indictment. Yeah. Tell me a little bit. I just want to get it on the record again, as strong as I can, that the Steele dossier was not responsible for the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, nor was it wholly responsible for Rosenstein, by the way, signing off on the Carter Page FISA renewal. Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. So just to be clear, we opened the case, the Crossfire Hurricane case, before we had the Steele reporting at headquarters. So without any knowledge of the existence of the steel reporting, the very small team that was working on Crossfire Hurricane opened the Crossfire Hurricane case at the end of, I want to say end of July. My dates are getting a little foggy now. We didn't get the steel reporting until I think October. But in any case, was without uh, the case was opened without it. As far as the FISA goes, this is a thing, this is a misapprehension that's been, it's just so frustrating and it's been around since the very beginning. So we had a pre-existing case on Carter Page for 
not having anything to do with his role in the Trump campaign. He was the subject of a counterintelligence case because of concerns that the FBI had about his repeated interactions, direct interactions with known and suspected intelligence officers from Russia. So once he becomes the focus of inquiry over his role in the campaign, you know, we, we don't start that case without a long kind of preconceived disposition about who he is and suspicions about activities he may have been involved in before any of that. So we requested FISA coverage on page before we had the steel reporting in our hands. That that request was denied by the Department of Justice. They said we didn't have they didn't believe we had quite enough probable cause to succeed with FISA. Of course, that's the standard for a FISA warrant, right? You go to the FISA court and you make the argument that there's probable cause to believe that this person is acting as an agent of a foreign power. And they didn't think we could meet that standard. I should say the disagreements over that are like, that happens, that's probably happened two dozen times today, right? This is a constant thing in law enforcement. The agents, we always think we have enough. We're very aggressive about our view of the case and then the facts that we have about our subject. And the lawyers at the Justice Department are typically more conservative about that. And they push us to get more, get more, get more before they're willing to take something to court. It's actually a very healthy tension that, that you know, each side kind of pushes on the other in a, in a productive way. So that's what was going on with Carter Page when in our first weeks and months after opening the Crossfire Hurricane case. Then, of course, you know, having been told by DOJ to bring them more, then we get the Steele reporting, which, of course, has a lot of allegations and reporting about Carter Page in it. So we then take the Steele reporting to DOJ. And with that information, they were comfortable bringing the package to the FISA court. So you could think about the Steele reporting as kind of the final, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back or the final few facts that got us over the threshold. But it was not, certainly not the only reporting in the FISA application. And I would argue it's not even the most significant reporting in the FISA application. His own history interacting with Russian spies to me was more concerning. But, you know, people see it differently, I guess. Yeah. And the standard there isn't beyond a reasonable doubt. No. I mean, the standard there is you said it a million times in your book, The Threat. And I, I'm, I'm trying to something about a factual predicate. Sure. Yeah. So the, so the predicate for opening a case is just that you have information, in this case, that a national security threat might exist. So that's a very low standard. And, you know, on the counterintelligence side, once you open a counterintelligence case, let's say you have a information that somebody might be working, you know, as, a, as an agent for Russia or China or, you know, name your country. So that's probably enough to get the case open. But once you have the case open, you have to figure out whether or not that predication is in fact accurate and true. And often in the counterintelligence context, the only way to do that is with FISA coverage because you can follow a guy to and from work every day, sit outside his house while he watches TV every night. But if you don't actually have access to their communications, it's very hard sometimes to fully vet that initial predication. And that's why many counterintelligence cases with the assistance of FISA are closed without any action taken, without the subject ever knowing that they were a subject. It's all classified for that purpose so that people's lives aren't ruined and these allegations aren't vetted publicly. But that's the work of counterintelligence officers. You have to look deeply to find the threat. Yeah. And with that predication, you don't have to corroborate 
and prove and beyond a reasonable doubt everything that happened in the Steele dossier in order for it to be enough for Rosenstein, again, Rod Rosenstein, to sign off on a FISA warrant for somebody who, by the way, was no longer working for the Trump campaign. That's right. And the fact that we now know that some parts of the of the steel reporting are not quite as reliable as we thought they might be back then or that they've been undermined completely. That doesn't matter. That's hindsight. At the time, it is information that's in your hands. You got it from someone who you believed was a reliable source. You can use that in a FISA application. The information in the FISA application doesn't have to be absolutely perfectly 100% vetted. You know, it's just you're obligated to tell the court what you know and also to tell them what you know about the sources of the information, which, which we did. Now, I know that in later renewals, there were issues with we learned more about the steel reporting, we learned more about the subsourcing involved, and we absolutely should have shared those concerns and what we knew about those subsources with the court. And that wasn't shared. And that was a mistake on the part of the FBI. But, you know, at least initially in the, in what we call the initiation, the first FISA application, steel reporting information was included. It was included appropriately. So it was effectively described. The sourcing was described to the court. And there you go. Yeah. And if you were going to charge Carter Page, all of that would have had to have been corroborated and solidified. Of course, of course. And that is, you know, and and Carter Page was not charged with any crime. I do have a couple of more questions for you regarding Mm -hmm. criminal predication and something that a federal judge said to one of the insurrectionists this week, Mm -hmm. because that was the other reason I wanted to talk to you, because that phrase popped right into my head and I instantly thought of you. So I want to ask you about that, but I have to take a break. Will you stay with me? I absolutely will. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. You know, I've tried some really dumb weight loss fads in the past. They never work. You yo-yo back and forth, and it's actually bad for your heart. Uh, So I have to talk to you about our sponsor today. It's called Calibrate. It's not a diet or a quick fix. It's a year-long commitment that gives you the tools to fight your biology. Traditional diets do not work because you can't fight your biology with willpower. Calibrate's different. It's a comprehensive, doctor-guided metabolic reset. It promotes sustainable results through lifestyle changes. Calibrate is a fully integrated program combining classes, one-on-one video coaching, in-app tracking, and community member support, plus medical care, including a video doctor visit. Calibrate works because they combine doctor-prescribed, FDA-approved medications with lifestyle changes to improve metabolic health. Before Calibrate, this was only available in clinical and academic settings. And you can easily fit Calibrate into your busy schedule. It's very convenient. Your goals are personalized and tracked by doctors and coaches, and you can check in with the app as little or as often as you want. You don't have to keep checking in if you don't have time. And your weight does not reflect your willpower. So get back in control with Calibrate. You get $50 off a one-year metabolic reset when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at joincalibrate.com. That's $50 off when you use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at joincalibrate.com. And today's show is also brought to you by QB. How many hours do you think we spend sitting at our desks, watching TV, sitting around? But if you could turn that screen time into opportunities to burn calories, how great would that be? That's exactly what I'm doing right now, thanks to QB. That's C-U-B-I-I. It's a compact elliptical unit that fits easily under your desk so you can be pedaling and getting a workout while you're sitting at your computer. I'm using it right now, and you can't hear it because it's whisper quiet. It's super easy on your joints, and a recent clinical study confirms it burns 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say I'd work out more if I had more time. Well, QB gives you that time. It's easy to burn calories and stay active anytime, virtually anywhere. In fact, I set it up in front of the couch, too, to burn calories there. 
And it's also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs something to help improve circulation and keep active. So if you have a parent or a loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy and keep moving their joints, QB would be the perfect holiday gift. I love my QB. I know you will, too. Take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial and turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with former acting director of the FBI, author of The Threat, a book that you must have. It's Andy McCabe. And Andy, before the break, we were talking about predication and what it takes to open an investigation with regards to Crossfire Hurricane or even going back to ghost stories or any of these investigations that counterintelligence type investigations that the uh, FBI engages in. And a federal judge said last week to one of the insurrectionists in one of the in one of the rulings that there was predication that Trump actually incited the riot on January 6th. And she said it several times. And it's stuck in my head because of the, the amount of times that you mentioned it when talking about opening Crossfire Hurricane, which I don't think you were able to call it Crossfire Hurricane at the time. <laughs> wasn't In your book, The Threat. And I thought that that was very interesting that a judge would actually say that and wondering if Department of Justice is is listening and what you think Department of Justice is, isn't, should be doing with regards to investigating the leaders of the insurrection. Sure. So I think the first thing to remember is that predication, the predication necessary to open a case isn't, isn't anywhere close to the factual proof that you need to indict someone. And it certainly isn't close to the, you know, convicting someone beyond a reasonable doubt. It is a very low threshold. But nevertheless, we need a low threshold to initiate investigative activity, right? You don't just investigate those crimes that are already proven when they show up at your door, especially when your job is to prevent things like acts of terrorism and prevent spies from stealing all of our secrets and things of that nature. So in this case, could you make the argument that there is sufficient predication to believe that the president was involved in, you know, seditious conspiracy or something like that? Sure, you could make that case. I think there are facts that we all are very familiar with. His own words, his actions leading up to the leading up to January 6th, his very clearly expressed intent to block or overturn the results of the election. Then you put on top of that his conduct at the rally, his choice of words, his talk about exhorting people to march down that down the uh, over to the hill. All that stuff could certainly be articulated in a way that would predicate investigating him for that activity. It's a far cry from indicting him or anything else, but you could definitely use it for an investigation. Yeah. And same with Crossfire Hurricane. I would assume that not investigating when you have that kind of predication, would be a dereliction of duty. That was my belief then. It is still my belief to this day. And in fact, you know, that's how I saw my role as an FBI agent, and certainly at that time as deputy director and ultimately acting director. We were in a position where we clearly had information that the president, well, that the president might present a risk to national security and that he may have that a federal crime, specifically obstruction of justice, may have been committed. So I felt like to look the other way and not start a 
you know, genuine investigation would have been a dereliction of duty, it would have been ignoring our responsibility under our authorities. And I'll go one step further, Allison. I think that all the criticism that we've received for politicizing the FBI and making political choices, even though no one that's investigated it has ever concluded that, I argue that the opposite would have been political. If we had refused to open the investigation and pursue those investigative lines simply because the subject was a politically influential person, then that would have been choosing not to do our job because of the political ramifications. That would have been politicizing the FBI. We, of course, didn't do that. Now, because of some of the people I know that I have contacts with, I've heard that the FBI is investigating some of the things associated with January 6th. Uh, as far as the leadership goes, I've, we also know from public reporting that uh, law enforcement and the Department of Justice has a grand jury impaneled for looking into the funding $14 million into Sidney Powell's, you know, Trump's Kraken lawsuits. And they're working in conjunction with the committee because one person who testified to the grand jury talked to somebody at The Guardian. Uh, and, and that's how we find out about these things generally, because the Department of Justice, despite Bill Barr and Michael Sherwin, are not supposed to come out and tell you what they're doing and where they're at. Correct. But I am also concerned about public perception of what seems to not be being done right now. And I was wondering if you could, first of all, do you know anyone? Are they investigating the leaders of the insurrection law enforcement right now as part of the Department of Justice? Or have you not heard? Well, I don't know the answer to that question, so I don't, I'm not privy to any insider information on that. I think they are being appropriately closed-mouthed about it, which is, at the end of the day, a good thing. I do think that there is that it's possible that the Justice Department is kind of un, uncharacteristically, but maybe taking a quieter, slower approach and really letting the committee, the January 6th committee, kind of fire the first shots in those directions. I mean... Typically, it's not the way that you would do this. If you were pursuing an investigation, you would want the congressional committees to stay away from it because they run the risk of like immunizing your witnesses and doing things like that that can make a prosecution hard. In this case, I don't think there was any slowing down that progress. And they, they might actually benefit from recommendations that the committee might make to DOJ regarding prosecution and also benefit from some of the evidence that the committee has uh, recovered in the course of their work. So I think you kind of have to leave the final judgment out there until we see what happens after the January 6th committee wraps up its work. Yeah. And my only concern is that unlike a, a special counsel, Department of Justice isn't required to give their declinations at the end of something. And I know Senator Whitehouse was trying to get Garland to commit to giving declinations, and he just gave his same old can't talk about it answers. And I, I, I think rightfully a lot of a lot of Americans are concerned, but it makes DOJ an easy target, right? That they are quiet and that they're slow. But it is getting we're getting long in the tooth yeah. uh, after the insurrection here. And um, and also, I've been very vocally upset that the beautiful, fabulous, amazing obstruction of justice volume two charges haven't been touched yet by the D.C. U.S. attorney's office. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of, of grave concern there because of everything that Mueller risked, everything he didn't investigate so he wouldn't get fired so that he could wrap up that volume two obstruction piece put a bow on it and hand it over all of the things we missed following the money. We don't know what happened to the counterintelligence investigation, yep. all of the things that we didn't get, not, you know, not coming out and saying he obstructed justice, which 
left a, you know, huge hole. Bar could park a truck in there. Yeah. All of that was to, I think, to preserve these obstruction of justice findings and to have them sit there, I think, would be a dereliction of duty. Well, I can't disagree with you on that one. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Mueller laid the roadmap and then no one took the road. And then if you look at the even recent statements like, uh, you know, it's always the case that Trump, the, the best evidence you get on Trump is the things he actually says himself. And then saying and it, stating basically in that interview a week or so ago that he fired Comey because he had to because Comey was going to get him or something or throw him in jail. I mean, like, I don't know what else we're waiting for now, but I get it. You know, the AG is not an FBI agent. It's easy for me to look at these even the monumental decisions from a very specific perspective. And the AG has got to balance other things. And maybe there's some, you know, maybe there's some hesitancy on his part for other reasons that I'm not privy to. But speaking just as an investigator and someone who, as a citizen, who really, I want to see a undisputed factual record emerge from these events. And I don't know that you can do that without running it through a court proceeding, right? So take January 6th for for an example. I think that charges against the president and his advisors should be at least considered. And if there's information there to do it, they should bring them and let it let's air it out in court. Let them let their attorneys get up and try to shoot it down. Let's get evidence out under oath in an Article three court. And that's how we establish the historical record. And whether he gets convicted or not, almost I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but like you leave that up to the process. But yeah, it's hard. It's going to be frustrating if if we never actually hear that stuff aired out. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think that the attorney general is trying to insulate himself from politicization by having the inspector general and Congress sort of do all this stuff, make recommendations. And he has said under oath, he will take the recommendations of the inspector general, who is our very good friend, Michael Horowitz. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't hear the dripping sarcasm in my voice. But, you know, what I hope, my hope beyond hope, I wish you were still there so that you could like have a a teary eyed meeting with Lisa Monaco and recommend a special counsel, because that's (laughs) what I want. I want a special counsel come in five months, eight months, sweep through everything that both the IG, the DOJ, the FBI and the committee put together, come out with a report, give declinations of things that they couldn't prosecute and why they couldn't, because that's what you have to do as a special counsel, because DOJ doesn't have to do that. And I am terrified that we aren't going to get that information. So while I'm so glad that you won your retirement and I wish you were, I wish you were still there to do the, do the old, Crossfire, Hurricane, Rosenstein. Hey, buddy, we need a special counsel trick because I think we do. Well, I I appreciate that vote of confidence. I can tell you, I'm not sure how successful I'd be. I know this. I know Lisa Monaco very well. I have great respect for her. And I can tell you, if she and I ever had a meeting like that, there'd be no tears on her side of the table, (laughs) which is much tougher than Rod. (laughs) Yeah, he's a wispy dude. But yeah, if you're good friends, give her a call. Tell her I said so. I think we need a special counsel. I'll keep tweeting it, but, you know, who am I? Anyway, it's been really great to talk to you. Thank you for this information. I just wanted everybody to be kind of clear on what's going on with Durham. His Sussman indictment is going to fall apart because Jim Baker has multiple different recollections of that conversation and was the only witness to it. And so it's it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see how that goes forward. 
I, I can't, I just, I can't imagine as an agent ever walking into a U.S. attorney's office and trying to pitch a thousand and one case based on the inconsistent recollection of one witness without a single written note. I mean, it's just, you'd get laughed out of the office with that. So I don't, whatever, I don't know. I don't know Mr. Durham or how he approaches his work, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. And it's got to be tough for Garland, who probably just wants to get rid of him, but politically can't. Yeah, he can't do that, I don't think. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Pick up the threat. Appreciate your time. CNN legal analyst, a former acting FBI director, Andy McCabe. It's good to talk to you, my friend. Thanks. Great to talk to you as well. Bye bye. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hello, everyone. It's AG. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Scribd. Finding the right book or podcast can be a challenge. There's like an infinite amount of content out there. So many amazing books, so much content available. I regularly spend as much time looking for my next book as I do actually reading it. But Scribd has changed all that. A Scribd user uh, gets instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, court documents, and more, along with editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. You'll never be stuck for choices again. And it's all for one low monthly subscription. The ultimate reading subscription service, letting you explore all your interests in any format you choose, is just $9.99 a month. That is less than the cost of a single book. I love using Scribd. I get to discover must-read new work from celebrated authors that premiere exclusively on Scribd, like Roxanne Gay. And when I want to change things up, I'm free to switch between titles, genres, and formats anytime on my phone, tablet, or computer. Right now, we're offering listeners of this show a free 60-day trial. So go to try.scribd.com slash AG for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash AG to get 60 days of Scribd for free. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite puzzle game in the universe, Best Fiends. If you've been listening for a while, you know I love playing this game. I love playing uh, during the holiday season as well. It's a perfect pick-me-up when I need a break from the holiday stress. Best Fiends is entertaining, it's super fun, and it's a great distraction. I consider it part of my self-care routine. Best Fiends has it all. It's got a captivating storyline, awesome characters, collectible fiends. The slugs are there. They're the bad guys. Tons of fun puzzles. Uh, and wonderful visuals and music. I can't put it down. It's quite possibly the best puzzle game out there. The best part is you don't need Wi-Fi. You can play Best Fiends wherever and whenever you want to. So wherever your holiday travels take you, you can still play Best Fiends. It's uh, always my go-to mobile game because it's interesting and challenging. They're adding new levels all the time. It's always fresh. Uh, I'm almost to, I'm a little over level four, three, four thousand. I'm up there. But uh, you don't have to worry because they have literally thousands of levels with more added all the time. So there's always a fresh challenge waiting for you when you need to pick me up. Download Best Fiends for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. AG, I'm sending in my own correction. Don't speak. <laughs> it's James. And hopefully James didn't already start writing a very strong worded email. To us for forgetting his name. It's James. That's that. Wait, that's Denim and Cobalt's dad. That's James. Mm-hmm. James, I bet you know the difference between lie, lie, lane, lay. Yeah, lie. I bet so. I bet so. If you have any good news, corrections, confessions, anything like that, you can send them in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First submission here is from Anna Marie, pronouns she and her. Great name. Good morning, Beans Queens. I learned a couple of new words. Nephew, N-I-E-P-H-E-W, and necronym. I have a nephew who recently came out as non-binary. They chose their own name, so our family no longer uses their necronym. 
I always thank you for all you do, for the joy it brings, and for helping to clarify what the fuck is actually happening in our news and politics. I appreciate all of you. Happy holidays to you and all the beans behind the scenes. Oh, nice. Beans behind the scenes. Nice job. Sounds like a segment. For pet tax, please enjoy a pic of our cat, Khaleesi, who we found under our house a few years ago, who would like to speak to the manager because (laughs) the service at this quote-unquote restaurant is much too slow. Oh, my God. Oh, that's like a smudge. You know, the white cat and the meme. Yeah. Adorable. You want to take these next two here? I'm happy to. This one's Meryl. Uh, Biblical syntax correction. This is what we have for Meryl. No pronouns given. Love your podcast. Listen. uh Oh, here we go. Listen daily. By the way, I hate to say this, but Dana, you kind of pulled a Trump with three John. Like that time the former guy read two Corinthians instead of second Corinthians in reference to biblical texts. Oh. Oh, I always say the number. 3 John 1, 1 is read 3 John chapter 1, verse 1. Meryl, you were talking to a Jew. I've never fucking read the Bible. And so I'm okay with the correction because there's never, I don't think there's ever a chance that I am no. going to quote the Bible outside of the Daily Beans, but I would like to say it correctly, at least in the in the in the good news. So thank you for that. Now that I think about it, I will it. forget it the moment we sign off. Yeah, it is Second Corinthians. Yeah, now that I think about that all makes of the total sense. Thousands so, of thousands so of hours I've spent. in Third John. Okay, so not so not three John. That makes sense. Third John, one one is mm-hmm. read. Third John one verse. Okay, got it. Well, thank yep. you. And you just say Third John one one. Okay. Now, should I take the next one? I feel like it made that longer than it needed to be. I think what fucks everybody up is the old John 316. I think John should have stopped. Who who also, like, we had a Bible and that's the name they came up with. It was John, like back in the ancient times. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Because, I mean, I never hear third John 16. It's always John 316. So I think that that lexicon might be where it comes from. All right. Okay. Well, we'll take it on the next one. This is from Kate, pronouns she and her. I have the best news to share today. For the first time in two years, I'm leaving the island of Kauai to head to my hometown, the island of Ocracoke, North Carolina. There's no way I pronounced that right. But we're going to go with Ocracoke. Either that or it's Okrakoki. Oh, it could be Okrakoki. That's a really fun... Either way, that's a fun city in North Carolina. And see my family and friends. I was fortunate to see my mom over the summer, but my dad doesn't travel, so I get misty-eyed just thinking of the huge hug and movie nights I've planned for us. So sweet. While my parents have been divorced for over 30 years, we still get together for our, quote, dysfunctional family dinners. I've never looked forward to it more. Not to mention my friends. My hometown is an island of 800 people, And my best friends were my preschool classmates. So to say, quote, we go way back doesn't even capture our love for each other. Unconditional love is not even enough. They are my family, too. Okay, Mm. I'm just babbling now. After spending the past two years taking care of other people's families, I just cannot stop the excitement I'm feeling to let my family take care of me for a few weeks. And of course, I'll be giving some love and care, too. I'm a nurse. We can't help ourselves. (laughs) <laughs> I hope you ladies have a wonderful holiday full of love and care with your chosen families as you provide us listeners with love and care every day. Wow. Kate, that was awesome. And thank you for being on the front lines and keeping us safe. I know that it has been a long two years for nurses and just enjoy every second with your family. It's awesome. Yes, Kate, our nurses are amazing. And uh, you'll have to let us know if it's okra coke or okra cokey. Totally. <laughs> I'm real curious now. Next up from anonymous pronoun she and her. Hello in AG voice, AG, DG, Amy, and the rest. I felt compelled to write in and share in the gratitude. 
This year has been a whirlwind for me as I left my job in February to hike the Appalachian Trail. Awesome. Uh, Which I completed in early July. Since finishing my hike, I've started a new job working remotely, which has been quite the adjustment and at times can feel a bit suffocating after living in the woods for four months. Jeez. I try to balance that by making time on my weekends to drive to the incomparable White Mountains of New Hampshire and push myself to keep climbing mountains in beautiful places. Yesterday, my roommate and I hiked the beloved Franconia Ridge Trail, which in summertime gets absolutely swarmed with people. However, in the stillness of winter, with dangerous icy patches around requiring micro spikes and wind whipping our faces, we were able to take in this beautiful place and feel at peace and gratitude. I'm including pictures from our day trip and putting some grateful energy into the world for being lucky enough to see these things. I'm thankful for everyone at the Daily Beans. You've been my constant companion since ye old kitchen days when I needed a guiding light to see me through the mayhem. I even listened when, whenever I could download episodes on the trail. So you helped me have something to contemplate while walking 20 miles a day. Nice. Love to you all. And thanks for everything. Oh, ooh, that's beautiful. Wow. These are gorgeous. Now I wonder if that waterfall is running or if it's frozen. I think it's running. <laughs> That's a good question. I think it has to be in order to, at least a little bit. That's beautiful. And really How beautiful. Gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This next one's from Jean, pronouns she and her. Greetings, Chiquitas Benitas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always enjoy the show. A couple of things this week prompted me to finally write in. I have a gentle correction, not even an actual error on anyone's part, more like an FYI on an unusual, if not unique, preferred pronunciation. Mm. Rep Zoe Lofgren was mentioned the other day. However, she pronounces it Zoe. Oh, not mm. Zoe. Thank you, Rep Zoe Lofgren. I've never heard why, although it's not her birth name to my guess. It's just how she decided to spell the sound she was going for. Or perhaps she liked the look of it and adopted it without realizing the common pronunciation. Awesome. Thank you. It warmed my heart to hear the listener's tale being adopted by Fuji, the refugee cat, reminding me of the Homer, the homeless cat. He just appeared and made himself at home, and he was very best boy for the eight years we had him. He was mature adult when he moved in. Never woke us up, never whined, snuggly but not pushy, minded like a well-behaved dog. He will always be missed. My son still has difficulty talking about him. Now, here's some shit the kids say. For several years, we had a long commute and would discuss anything and everything, making up games, whatever. Now, once, age six-ish, he asked me where snails keep their bones. I told him they don't have bones, but how do they stand up? He said, they don't. But what if they fall down? I said, they don't fall down. I was surprised at his persistence, but after several go-arounds adding more detail to my explanations, I insisted that snails don't have to get up because they don't fall down. And he said, they do if you knock them over. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair, that's fair. Now, all right. Tell me what you did today without telling me what you did today, right? Yeah, he's been snail tipping. That's you've been snail tailing. Yeah, snail tipping. <laughs> oh God, that's funny. Look at the pig. Aw. I wasn't warned about a picture of a happy sunshiny pig. Cute. What cute pig. Gene, is this your pig or did our producers add just add a pig? That would be nice if it was just an accidental pig. I don't ever want to be warned about cute pig pictures. <laughs> pig. <laughs> Uh, thank you all so much for sending these in. These are wonderful, honestly. And, you know, if you have any again, stories, stuff that you're doing for the holiday, things you're thankful for. If you st- I'm still taking Halloween pictures, Dana. I take those all year. Oh, you so, should. You know, any uh, family photos, holiday Christmas card photos. My favorite are the ones like when you're wearing Sears sweaters and you have the 
the floating head in the background or, <laughs> you know, of something. Also, I would love to see your pets with Santa. Oh, my God. Also, I would love to see, you know what I'm going to ask for? Babies. Baby pic- baby pictures with Santa, especially really ones that, I, and not because I want to torture the kids, but just funny pictures of your kids with this when they met Santa the first time. It's going to make my damn day. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. And again, you can send that all into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact Dana. I do have some last words. So if you're Mm -hmm. on the Facebook page behind the beans, you will, one, if you're not, you should go join if you're one of a beans family, because there's content there you don't get to see. If you're having a bad day, there's often cool posts. Anyway, one of them was posted yesterday, two days ago, by the time you hear this by Brianne. And basically what it asked for is that she shared another person's post that says, show me a picture where you were completely happy this year, where nothing else mattered but that moment. And I'll tell you right now, it is like a good news segment. You get to see joyful pictures and hear those moments. And so I hope that if for those of you that it just feels too arduous to write into the beans and give us good news here, just go on the Facebook page and put a picture that you felt complete joy and and tell us where it was. And it's a really lovely uh, thread. It'll make you, it'll make you happy. So go do it. Go do it. Yeah. And it's a very fun, kind, awesome group as well. So, so supportive. Check that out for patrons. So you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Muller. She wrote new patron of all the shows. There you have it. All right. Thank you very much for those final thoughts. Tune in tomorrow to see if Dana has final thoughts. And until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.